Well, how many of you have experienced the pain and regret that comes from going out to eat with a toddler? Let me see a show of hands. If you've been out to eat with a toddler, you, you thought it was going to go well. You, you, you thought maybe this time it'll be different, right? They, they've been doing better. Uh, maybe this time it will be different. Maybe this time they won't throw a fit. Right? As a new parent, you kind of think you can control that. You, you think that you have some sort of sway over how a child's going to act when they're a toddler. You, you think that you can, you'll be able to reason with them and talk things out with them. And then you quickly realize that's not the way it works at all. Like you are at their mercy, right? And you figure that out really quick when you go out to eat with a toddler. About a month ago, I was. Uh, in Dallas with my son Levi. We were at a, one of his baseball tournaments and we went out to eat with my brother and his family. Uh, his name is Travis. His wife's name is uh, Sarah. And then they, they have two kids and uh, their, their daughter, Hattie Beth, is a toddler. And we were at this nice Mexican restaurant in Dallas and, and, and having a great time. And, 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 you know, it's just one of those things. They're at the end of the day, probably it's bedtime, but, but for our sakes, they're staying up a little later. They're hanging out. They're going out to eat with us thinking, hoping, praying to the Lord that this time it will be different, you know? And so we sit down to eat and, and she's not happy, right? She's throwing a fit and they're, they're doing, every, you're doing everything. If you're a parent, you know, you're doing everything that you can think of to try to calm them down, right? I mean, anything they want, you're just giving it to them, doing whatever you can to get them to calm down, right? And, and so She's, she's upset, she's frustrated, she's making a lot of noise and they're doing everything and she wants this cloth napkin towel and so my brother unwraps the silverware from her and he gives her the cloth napkin and, and as soon as she gets it, she looks at it and she just goes, boom, throws it over her head like, that's not gonna work either, I tricked you. You thought that's what I wanted, that's not what I want. She threw it over her head, it hits the table behind us, they're looking around going, what's going on? You know, but then they see the toddler and they're like, okay, it makes sense. You know? So then she gets a cup of milk the waitress brings her her milk and they're thinking, surely, you know, get, let's get some food in her mouth. Let's get some drink in her mouth. You know, that'll, that'll shut her up, you know, right? And, and so they bring her her milk. She drinks some of the milk. And then she starts thinking that this cup with milk in it, with a straw that's going in it that has a, you know, kind of the bendy straw for kids. She thinks it looks like a soap dispenser. And so she starts pushing down on the straw and getting some milk to kind of come into her hands. And, and her dad, my brother, he, he takes it from her and she doesn't like that. And she's like, no, you got to press it. And he's like, what? She's like, you gotta press it. And he's like, I, you know, he's not getting it. He doesn't understand what game she's playing, right? And she's like, you gotta press it. And then I, I, I swear, this is what I thought she said. Okay, Travis tries to convince me this is not what she said, but I could have sworn she said, you gotta press it, stupid. And <laughs> Levi and I lost it. I mean, we died laughing. Um, they're looking, my brother's looking at us, his wife is looking at us. You know, the, the, the look that you give when you're, it's your kids and pe other people are laughing and you're like, why are you laughing? This isn't funny. And we're both dying because it is funny, you know, and we're, because it's not my kids. You know, you, you've been there, you know, when it's not your kids, it's funny. And so we're laughing and uh, they're looking at us and I'm kind of like, you know, Levi, quit, look away, you know, quit laughing. You know, we're trying to stop laughing. But that's the way kids act oftentimes in public and when it's your first kid, you freak out and you're upset and you're frustrated. When it's your third kid, you're like, enjoy the freak show, everybody. All right, well, are you not entertained, right? I mean, by that point in time, you're just, you're over it. You're like, everyone can deal with it just like, just like we are. But that's what kids do when they don't get what they want, right? Especially toddlers, they're, they're happy. And as they get older, they, they even think that you love them if you do what they want when they want it. But what happens when specifically a toddler doesn't get what they want when they want it? They, they explode. And as you get a little bit older, kids start to think that if you don't do what you want, what they want when, you, when they want it, you don't even love them. You ever heard that before? You know, surely, surely, here, here's what a kid will say sometimes. It, it, you, you can help me. You can get what I want. You can buy it. You could go get it. You could do it. And, and if you love me, then you would do what I want when I want it. We, we've all been in that situation. At least a lot of us have as parents. Every one of us have been that child. I don't care what you say. You're a liar if you say you have not been that child at some point in your life, okay? But, but all of us, all of us have also been that kind of child to our heavenly father. If you don't do what I want when, when I want it, then it must mean that you either can't 
Or maybe you don't love me. Maybe you're not who you say you are. Are you really who you say you are? Because if you are who you say you are and you can do these things and you love me, then surely you would do what I want when I want it. We've all been there. And it's why today is, is huge. Now, I gotta be honest with you. When I came into this week, I was going to do like 17 verses. But as I studied this, I, I really believe the Lord was saying, hey, we, we gotta cover 35 verses and you're gonna see why. Because there's three stories that we're gonna look at today where we're gonna see some people are gonna get their miracle and other people are not gonna get their miracle. And this is huge. It's so important for your faith because if you're not in this place yet, you, you, you will be where you're wanting God to do something and, and, and you've got a picture of how that's got to look and, and you've got a time frame of when you think that should happen and, and he's not going to do it and it's going to bring a lot of hurt and pain and even maybe a loss of faith, some doubts, some anger, some bitterness to God. And so my prayer is, is that today, maybe today will prepare some of you for that moment. Others of you, you've been in that place. You, you, you haven't gotten the miracle you've wanted. And so it's brought a lot of pain. It's brought hurt. It's brought doubt in the power or the love of God. And my, my prayer this morning is that maybe the Holy Spirit will, will bring some healing there. We'll, we'll do some repair and we'll replace maybe some of those doubts and anger and bitterness with, with maybe even just a mustard seed of faith. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter seven. We're, we're in a series where we're walking through the gospel of Luke verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, we're, we're doing this with all of the scripture now, all the Bible we've preached through the book of Daniel, through Colossians last year, and now we're in the middle of the gospel of Luke in Luke chapter seven. And we study the scripture verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book here, because we believe that studying the Bible this way helps develop a deeper faith a deeper trust, a deeper love of God, and a deeper commitment to the mission of God, the mission of Jesus to go and make disciples. And today is going to be a great example of why we must know the full counsel of God's word on any given topic, which is why we're not stopping at verse 17. We're gonna, we're gonna keep reading. We're gonna keep reading because you're gonna see today why it's so important to know the full counsel of God's word regarding this topic that we're talking about today. We're, we're not only studying the gospel of Luke and here, we're inviting you to study the gospel of Luke with us in our city groups. Those are our small group Bible studies. We'll walk through these same verses and passages this week. We're inviting you to study the gospel of Luke through our daily devotionals, which will walk through these same verses and passages this week with more commentary and prayer and application points Monday through Friday. Those are on the Bible study tab under our, on our app every single week. And then also we're inviting you to study the gospel of Luke with your family, with the Table Talk resource that's also on the Bible study tab on our app. Our kids and students are learning about these same passages right now. And so our hope with the Table Talk is to invite you, is to challenge you as a family to discuss what God is teaching you today through his word, through the Table Talk. And our hope in this series is that we're drawn up to Jesus. I say it over and over and over again, everything in this culture and our country is trying to pull us to the left or to the right. Our hope with the gospel of Luke has been that we will be drawn up to Jesus. And specifically today, while many of us may want status, position, comfort, or even relief from suffering, what I want you to see today is that we really, what we need most is a person. We need to be drawn up to Jesus. That's what we need most is a person and his name is Jesus. So three stories today about the miraculous power of Jesus. Some get their temporary miracle and some don't. And I use that word temporary on purpose. So let's go. Luke chapter seven, verse one. When Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people. So he's, we, we just finished the sermon on the plain. That's what Luke calls it. I believe that's also the sermon on the Mount, like we see in Matthew. So Jesus has finished preaching to, uh, to the people. He returns to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and to heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said. This is a Roman centurion, this is a Gentile. They said this, for he loves the Jewish people and he even built a synagogue for us. That means he built it out of his own income, out of his own funds. He, he funded the, the building of this synagogue for the Jewish people. So, so Jesus went with them. 
But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I'm not even worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and then I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel, among the Jewish people. This is a Gentile, this is a Roman centurion. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. This centurion is a Gentile. He's not a Jew. But Jesus says he exhibits great faith in God and in God's Messiah. This Gentile centurion, who would have been a, a Roman uh, a ruler or high-ranking Roman army official, exhibits great faith, and in doing so, he also exhibits correct theology of God, of man, of salvation. Notice that the Jewish leaders say he's worthy because of his works, because of his deeds. He's been generous to the Jewish people. He's built a synagogue for us. But notice what the Roman centurion says about himself. They say he's worthy. He says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be in your presence, Jesus. So, so he exhibits correct theology about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. And then he exhibits correct theology of the power of God, that God is omnipotent. And so this prophet or this servant of God, he may not know exactly for sure who this guy is, but he knows that Jesus is some sort of powerful prophet and servant of God. And so he says, you just, you just say the word and it will happen. If you speak that when you speak, there is power. Things happen when you speak. So this Roman centurion, this Gentile, exhibits correct theology of who God is, who man is, who about what salvation looks like. God, you're worthy. You, you are holy, and I, I'm not even worthy. I'm not even holy to be in your presence. But you say the word, and miraculous things will happen. Some scholars say this man might have been a God-fearer, a, a proselyte. He, he, he was a Gentile, but possibly he has believed in Israel's God as the one true and holy God. He's repented, he's renounced all of his gods, his idols, and he's put his faith in the one true God in Yahweh. And that is why he is being kind to the Jewish people. Because, because Roman centurions, this is like a, a, a Nazi SS soldier believing in the God of the Jewish people and treating them kindly. So th th something has happened here in this man's life to treat them kindly, to build this temple. It's possible he's what the New Testament calls a God-fearer, which means he's, he's trusted in Yahweh as God and he's renounced all of his former beliefs and idols. But regardless, this man exhibits great faith and Jesus praises him for it. I, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel, throughout the Gospel of Luke, we're gonna, going to see, and, and you see this in all the Gospels, Jesus praising people for their faith, for their great faith, or confronting their lack of faith. Oftentimes, Jesus is praising faith in the irreligious types, confronting a lack of faith in the more religious types like the Pharisees. He'll, he'll say things like this often to the more irreligious types of people. Your faith has made you well. By, by your faith, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has made you well. Jesus will say this over and over and over again. Even in the Gospel of Luke, we're gonna see this. Your faith has made you well. Or he'll confront his disciples or the Pharisees and he'll say, oh, you of little faith. Jesus is looking for trust. He's looking for faith from his people. Hebrews 11 says it like this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, the only, the only way we can please God is by 
faith. And then Hebrews 11 says this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Uh, it's saying, I'm sure of the things that I'm hoping in. It's the conviction of things not seen. So, so this isn't a blind faith. No, the writer of Hebrews says, it's not, not a blind faith. We don't have blind hope. He says this, it's assurance of things hoped for. I'm sure of these things I'm hoping in. It's the conviction of things not seen. This is a, a logical, rational faith. It's like John saying in 1 John, we, we saw him, we touched him. We, we've seen him with our eyes. We've touched him with our hands. We, we've spent time with him. We've eaten with him. And so we've put our hope and our faith in him. This isn't a blind faith. It's a very reasonable, logical, rational faith, but faith nonetheless. And Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. This, this Gentile Roman centurion exhibits faith in a couple of different ways. We, number one, we, we see he puts faith in Jesus' ability. He says, you, you can do this. You can speak a word and he will be healed. So he trusts in Jesus' power so he says, you can, you can do this. He has faith in the ability of Jesus. Secondly, he has faith in his authority. Faith in his ability, faith in his authority. In other words, he recognizes that Jesus is in charge. He says, I, I know what it's like to, to have people over me and in charge of me and for me to be over them and in charge of them. And when I speak, when, when my superior officers speak, I, I, that's what I do. And when I speak, the soldiers underneath me, that's what they do. And so he's saying, Jesus, you have that kind of authority. You're in charge. And whatever you say goes. Whatever you say, that's what's going to happen. Faith in his ability, faith in his authority. He's saying, it's, it's your way. We're going to do things your way. Or it's not really faith. It, it, it says to us, like when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to our view of sex, our view of marriage, our, our practice in marriage, our, our view of parenting, work, money, are we doing things his way? Because if we're not, then we're not really exhibiting faith. That, that faith isn't just saying, I believe you can, it's saying you're in charge I'm going to humble myself to your authority in my life, Jesus. You are Lord, and so I'm going to follow you and do things your way. So, so Jesus, what do you have to say about marriage? I'm doing it your way. Jesus, whatever you have to say about gender, I'm doing it your way. Jesus, whatever you have to say about money, I'm doing it your way. Jesus, you're in charge, so I'm gonna humble myself and place my faith in you, in your power, and in your authority. I'm going to do things your way. That, that's what faith looks like here. And so here's, here's what I want you to see first about miracles, is that Jesus, number one, does move in response to your faith. Your faith has made you well. Jesus moves in response to your faith, your faith in his power, your faith in his ability, your faith in his authority and in his way, which then by its very nature means I'm, I'm humbling myself. There's humility there. And saying it's not about my way, it's your, it's your way. And what does the scripture say about the humble? God gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so because of this man's faith, his humility, the power of Christ comes upon this man's house in a way he's never seen before. God gives grace to the humble. He moves in response to your faith. Now, if you just stopped here, if you just like read this passage and stopped here, then you would think that if you have enough faith, you could get your miracle. But that's why we can't stop here. That's why we have to keep reading. That's why it's important to know the full counsel of God's word because if we just stopped here and many people do and many people will pull these verses and passages like this out of context and will say if you just have enough faith you're going to get your miracle you're going to get your blessing you're going to get that money you're going to get that house they just stopped here you would think all it takes is faith and maybe I haven't been getting the miracle that I want in my life because I don't have enough faith and how many people has that led astray and jaded to faith in Christ because they're not getting their miracle because they think if they just had enough faith, well, I guess I don't have enough faith. 
I just had enough faith I would get my miracle. That's why we got to keep reading. We got to know the full counsel of God's word. Let's keep going. Verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son. So there's a young man who's died and he's a widow's only son. So no other family to take care of her. It's a widow's only son. And a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. And then the dead boy sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd and they praised God saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people today. And then the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. R.C. Sproul in his commentary on Luke said this, in the ancient world, and particularly in the Jewish culture, to come in contact with a dead body was to risk personal defilement that would require a very rigorous procedure of ritual or ceremonial cleansing. But here, Jesus violates the ceremony. He does this on several occasions in scripture, like we saw with the Sabbath day not long ago in our study of Luke. Never violating, of course, the moral law of the Old Testament or the moral law of God, but using this as an occasion to say something once again to his contemporaries of the importance of life and mercy over ceremony. Life and mercy over ceremony. Not only has this widow about to bury her only son, but it also meant there was no one to carry on her family name, as a widow, there was no male in her family in her family left to support her and to protect her. And, and so what happens here? Jesus, struck by the plight of this woman, has compassion. And don't miss this. Jesus raises this woman, this widow's, this, this widow, she he, he raises her one and only son. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like maybe it's a picture of something that's going to come of a one and only son who's dead and is going to come back to life? Jesus raises this woman's one and only son and here's the response of the people. God has visited his people because only God could raise the dead. Only God can raise the dead. So, so this Jesus has risen this dead kid back to life. God must be here with his people. Now, we don't really know if they fully understood what they were saying or, or what was happening here, but here's what they did know. A dead boy came back to life. Only God can do that. And so here's the second thing I want you to see about miracles. Jesus is moved. Jesus moves in response to his compassion. This woman isn't exhibiting any kind of faith. So, so it's totally different here. In, in the first story, we see the Roman centurion exhibiting this great faith and Jesus is moved by his faith to respond. In, in this situation, there's really no faith on behalf of anyone. Jesus is just moved by the suffering and the plight of this widow and because of his compassion, he responds with miraculous power. It's crazy to me that a God who is big enough to speak things into existence, galaxies into existence, cares about a singular widow in an obscure village because of her suffering. This village is not mentioned once in any other place in scripture, but right here. The, the same God who makes galaxies is the God that cares for the sparrow. It's the God that cares for the orphan, cares for the widow, cares for the prisoner cares for you. That same God who speaks things into existence sees you and he cares about you. And he's moved with compassion for this widow. Now again, if you had just read these two passages, then you would think, well, if I have enough faith and because God loves me, then I'm gonna get my miracle. If, if, I, if I can muster enough faith 
And because God loves me, then I'm going to get my miracle. And if I haven't gotten my miracle, then you would be left saying, well, then I must not have enough faith or God must really not love me. You see that? Like if, if I haven't gotten mine, other people are getting their miracles, but I haven't gotten mine. It must mean that God doesn't love me. I don't have enough faith. Maybe God isn't who he says he is if I'm not getting my miracle. It's why we have to keep reading. It's why we must know the full counsel of God's word. We cannot stop here because in this next passage, we're going to learn about John the Baptist. And how John the Baptist's story ends. He, he started, we, we, we saw in the Gospel of Luke, we saw that the story of John the Baptist starts out with him being a miracle baby born to Zachariah and Elizabeth in their old age, right? He's, he's a miracle child, this, this child of, of, of promise. He's going to be the, the voice of God. He's going to prepare the people for Jesus, for the Messiah. He's going to baptize Jesus, the Son of God. And when Jesus comes up out of that water, he's going to hear the voice of God saying, that's my son, I love him, follow him, listen to him. John the Baptist is going to have hundreds and thousands of people following him. And then he's going to call out Herod for his sin, his sexual sin. He's not doing things God's way. And he calls Herod out. And Herod throws him in prison. And so you got to understand that the backdrop for what we're about to read is John the Baptist in a dungeon. Everyone else is getting their miracle. Where's his? This is one of the most faithful men of God in history. And Jesus is going to confirm that here in just a second. He has served God He's been faithful to God. Everyone else is getting their miracle. So surely the most faithful and the most spiritual and the most loved of God is going to get their miracle too, right? Let's see. Verse 18. The disciples of John the Baptist told John, <laughs> I love this, about everything that Jesus was doing. John's in prison. He's in a dungeon. And John's disciples show up and they start telling John all the things that Jesus is doing, all the miracles. He's raising the dead to life. Isn't it incredible, John? So John, naturally, calls for two of his disciples and he sends them to Jesus to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? What would cause him to do... Everyone else is getting their miracle. Where's my miracle, Jesus? What, what about my miracle? Maybe you aren't who you claim to be. If I'm not getting my miracle, then maybe you aren't who you claim to be. Should we expect someone else? John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? And at that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, evil spirits, and he restored the sight of many who were blind. <laughs> I love this. They come and ask Jesus, Jesus, are you the one? And he doesn't just say yes. Before he really says anything, he starts doing more miraculous signs and wonders. Are, are you the one that we're, gonna, that we're supposed to expect? Are you the Messiah? And it's like, instead of talking, he just shows them. Well, here's even more evidence. Then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you've seen. Tell him what you've heard. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses, don't miss this, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. Watch what Jesus says about John the Baptist. What, what kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Was he swayed back and forth by the culture? Jesus saying, no, John was a faithful servant of God. Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. That, that wasn't John. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't in it for the money. He was, he was full of character and integrity. He was faithful. Were, were you looking for a prophet? Yes, he was a prophet. And even, watch this, but he was even more than a prophet. 
John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none are greater than John. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. When they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors, the sinners, agreed that God's way was right for they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them for they refused John's baptism. Everyone's getting their miracle. John's in a dungeon. And he's in a dungeon for calling out Herod's sin. He's being a faithful prophet, a faithful servant of God, and it gets him thrown in prison. Everyone's getting their miracle. Where's his? So he starts thinking. <laughs> this isn't going how I thought it was going to go, right? I mean, Jesus you're supposed to be the Messiah. You're supposed to become a king. You're supposed to, ter- to, to rise to power, to give, the, to give power back to the nation of Israel so that we might experience blessing and, and prosperity and power and influence and comfort once again. So, so, so none of this is going how I thought it would go, which by the way is why Judas turned away from Jesus. None of it was going the way he thought it was going to go. He wasn't going to have the power and the influence and the prestige that, that, that Jesus wasn't, go, wasn't going to offer that. And so he's realizing that that's not where this is headed. And so that's why Judas turns his back on Jesus. John the Baptist is saying, this isn't going how I thought it would go. Jesus, I'm not too sure you, you are who you say you are. And, and I'm in this dungeon. I thought serving God, I thought being faithful to God would mean I get my miracle, especially when everyone else is getting their miracle, especially when all these irreligious Gentiles are getting their miracle. What have they done for you, God? Why are they getting their miracle and I'm not getting mine? It's why so many don't believe. If God were real, Jesus was real, he would do the miracle that I want for him to prove that he exists, to prove that he's real. It's, it's why many Christians turn away. Let's just be real. Let's be honest. It's why so many Christians get jaded. They, they, they believe that he can and they believe that he's good, that he loves me. And so if you can and you're good, you love me, then, then, then why aren't you giving me my miracle? And so when we don't get it, we begin to doubt. We begin to turn away. I think a lot of us, a lot of us have been there before John the Baptist is in a dark moment. I think a lot of us have been there. We've been in that dark place. God, I know you can. I believe you can. I believe you're good. You're, you're compassionate. You love me. But you start to doubt. John the Baptist is he's in that place. If you've ever been there before, you're, you're in good company. That's John the Baptist. Even John the Baptist got there. He begins to doubt, and but I, I want you to see what John the Baptist does here. He, he doesn't totally give in to his doubt either. He, he, he's doubting, but, but he doesn't totally give, give over, give himself over to his doubts. John, John the Baptist begins to, to doubt his doubts. He, he's got his doubts, but, but he's also going to doubt his doubts. He's not going to just totally give in to them and turn away from Jesus. No, he calls for some of his disciples and he sends them to Jesus to ask if he's really the one. John the Baptist in a dark place exhibits just even a mustard seed of faith. He begins to doubt his doubts and, and he puts a mustard seed of faith out there and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus if he really is who he says he is or if we should expect another and I love that, that Jesus sort of answers the question, right? He, he, he sort of answers the question. And here's what I mean. Jesus answers his question, but he, he doesn't really answer the question John the Baptist is really asking. John, John the Baptist puts the question out there like, are, are you really who you say you are? But why is he asking the question? He, he's not getting his. Everyone else is getting their miracle. He's not getting his miracle. So so Jesus 
sort of answers his question. And, and, and I love what he does here. Instead of just immediately responding, he reveals, again, his miraculous power to John the Baptist's disciples. He confirms who he is. Then he reminds everyone who John the Baptist is, that John the Baptist was a powerful, faithful prophet. He was the forerunner of the Messiah, that there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus quotes from Isaiah about the Messiah, the, the prophecies that were given about the Messiah. And he says, I'm going to heal the lame. The blind are going to see. All these things are going to, this is what the Messiah is going to do. And John the Baptist had to hear each one of these things. Okay, check, 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 Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. But then here's what John the Baptist would have known about the prophecies from Isaiah about the Messiah. He would have, he would have immediately known, uh, Jesus, you left off one. You left off one of the prophecies about the Messiah, Jesus. And to John, it would have been the most important. You see, it was prophesied that the Messiah would set the captives free. And that specifically, that those who are in dungeons would be let loose. So John the Baptist had to be going, check Messiah, check Messiah, check Messiah. Wait a second, did he say anything else? No, that's all he said. What, what about all that setting the captives free talk? What, what about letting loose those who are in dungeons? It's not too long after this that John the Baptist has his head chopped off by Herod. John the Baptist didn't get his miracle. Now, now make no mistake, he got a miracle. He got the best one but he didn't get his miracle. He didn't get the miracle he was wanting. He didn't get the miracle he was expecting. And so here's the third thing you've got to understand about miracles. And when Jesus moves, Jesus moves in response to his own sovereignty. He moves in response to your faith. He removes and he moves in, in response to his own compassion but he also moves in response to his own sovereignty. John Piper said this about God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty is his right and power to do all that he decides to do. The sovereignty of God is his right and power to do all that he decides to do, which, which means this, that the miracles don't always happen the same way. And and not everyone gets their miracle. Yes, the, the, the captives are going to be set free. Those who are in dungeons are going to be let loose. But, but not every prisoner is going to be set free. Yeah, yeah the blind are going to see. But, but, but not every blind person is going to see. The, the lame are going to walk. But not every lame person is going to walk. I mean, we see this in Jesus over and over and over again. He's healing people left and right. And then, and then he says, I got to go. We got to move on to the next village. I got to go preach about the kingdom of God there. And he says this because this isn't why I've come. This is a sign. It points to why I've come and it points to the power behind and the authority behind why I've come to, to bring the forgiveness of sin. But, but this isn't why I've come. And so, so I've gotta move, we gotta go to the next village. So, so we're always seeing some people get their miracle and some people don't. And so Jesus says this, God blesses those who don't fall away on account of me. God blesses those who don't fall away on account of me, who in their pride, arrogance, selfishness, short-sightedness, or maybe just not understanding. They turn away because they don't get their miracle. Jesus says, God blesses those who don't fall away on account of me. Like, there's blessing in doubting your doubts. We're all gonna have doubts at one time or another, but there's blessing in not giving yourself over to doubts, but, but even beginning to doubt your doubts. God blesses those who don't turn away on account of me. Why? Why is there blessing in doubting your doubts and following Jesus? Because you get Jesus. You, you get Jesus. When John the Baptist's disciples come and ask Jesus if he's the one, if there, or if there's gonna be another, Jesus says, no, I'm the one. There will be no other. I'm the one. 
there's not going to be another. In, in other words, here's the answer that Jesus gives John the Baptist to the question he's really asking. You get me. Why is everyone getting their miracle? And I'm not getting, I've been faithful to you, God. I've served you, God. I've loved you, God. Why is everyone else getting their miracle? And, and I'm not getting mine. And Jesus' is, is answer to him is, you, you got me. You get me. You don't get an answer. You get me. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Problem of Pain, he said, when your world has been rocked, when, when, when you're suffering, he said, I've found that the answer to suffering isn't an answer at all. The answer is a person. And his name is Jesus. Jesus told John the Baptist, you, you get me. This is, listen, this is why the, the prosperity gospel that, that, that our country has latched onto and unfortunately has exported to other countries in, in the world. This is why the, the prosperity gospel is absolute nonsense and is so absurd. I'd like to use another word, but we're in church, okay? So I'm not gonna use another word. But it is absolutely absurd to think that I can have enough faith and because God loves me, I'm gonna get mine, I'm gonna get my miracle. That God's gonna prosper me because of my faith and because of his love for me. The prosperity gospel is foolishness and it has led so many people astray to think that you could have enough faith to get your miracle. You see, when you know the full counsel of God's word, you understand that that's absurd. Some get their temporary miracle and some don't, but we all get Jesus. I mean, imagine giving your one and only son to die in someone else's place and them telling you that's not enough. You'd say, I've given you everything. I've given you the best I could possibly give in my one and only son. And so when we believe or when we respond like, Jesus, I believe you can, and because you're compassionate and good, then, you, then that means you're gonna give me my miracle. Jesus responds to this way of thinking like this. Look at with me in verse 31. To what can I compare the people of this generation, Jesus asked. How can I describe them? They are like children. Playing a game in the public square. They complained to their friends. We, we played wedding songs for you and you didn't dance. We, we played funeral songs for you and you didn't weep. For, for John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating or bread or drinking wine and you say he's possessed by a demon. The, the son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard in front of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. Now, we're gonna dive more into that part of that passage next week, but, but here's what Jesus is saying. When we act like that because he can and because he's good and compassionate, then, then that means he's going to give me my miracle. Jesus says, you're like children. You're just complaining when you don't get your way. Jesus said, you complained about John the Baptist because he didn't do or say what you wanted. You're complaining about me because I don't do or say what you want. He's saying it's a childish faith. That's a childish faith. But what Jesus is looking for is childlike faith not childish faith. Childlike faith, not childish faith. And here's childlike faith. Here's what childlike faith looks like, and it's our big idea today. You can, you're good, but even if you don't, you're faithful. This is childlike faith. God, I believe you can. You could speak it and it will happen. And, and, and you're good, you're compassionate. You love me and you've proven that love for me in your son, in your one and only son dying for me on that cross. You, you proved it. You've demonstrated your love. So, so even if you don't give me mine, even if I don't get my miracle when I want it and the way that it's supposed to look, even, even if you don't, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, our God can save us from the fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, even if he chooses in his sovereignty to not do that right now, Nebuchadnezzar, we will never bow down and worship your gods. No, 
Our God is faithful. You can, you're good, but even if you don't, you're faithful. You see, can and good doesn't always equal he will. And that's never more evident than in the cross. Jesus in his prayer in that garden was basically saying, God, you can. You can deliver me from this cup of, of suffering. And, and, and you're good. You're compassionate. You are a loving, perfect father. Yet not what I will, but God, what you will. You can. You're good. But it doesn't mean that's what you will do. So not what I will, but what you will, God. And we know from the scripture, it was God's plan to crush his son. That's what Isaiah 53 says. That it was the Lord's plan to crush the son. Why? So that he wouldn't have to crush you for your sin for all eternity in hell. It was the Lord's will, the scripture says, to crush the son on the cross, to pay the fine for your sin so that you could be set free because you're a captive to sin. You're in a dungeon of sin that's headed to an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to down that cross and he crushed his son under the weight of his wrath so that while he is righteous and just, he could be merciful and loving and compassionate to you. And that all meets right there at the cross. This is never more evident than at the cross where God takes the worst suffering, the worst darkness, the worst pain. And he brings a, a garden from a grave. He brings beauty from the ashes. This is the, the same story of the Hebrews 11 people of faith. It says of the people of faith in Hebrews 11, they were tortured and they would not turn from God. They refused to turn from God. This is the story of church history. You see, see, this story is the opposite of what we've been trained to believe in our country. The most faithful in God all throughout church history have suffered the most. That's always been the way it is. That we're, we're a blip. We'll say this over and over and over. We are a blip on the radar of church history, of what we've experienced in our country. The, the norm for the most faithful of God all throughout church history has been suffering. But here's what they realized. The story isn't about them, it's about him. And they believed that God would either deliver them from death with a temporary miracle in that moment, but that ultimately God has already delivered them and will deliver them through death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That even the act of dying, just like the cross, will bring resurrection and life for the believer in Jesus. So, so Jesus says this, don't, don't labor for food that perishes. Like, don't, don't follow me because of the miracles or because of the food. Labor, Jesus says, labor for that which does not perish. Jesus said, I offer you the bread of life that doesn't perish. And that's the best miracle ever. The bread of life. The resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even though you die, you will live. What's so interesting about what Jesus says about John the Baptist, he, he builds him up. He's, he, there's never anyone that's lived up until that moment, Jesus says, that, that was greater than John. In other words, Jesus is saying he, he's the most faithful that has ever lived up until this moment. But, but then Jesus says this, and it's interesting, but, but the least person in the kingdom of God will be greater than John the Baptist. He, even the least. Even the least person in the kingdom of God will be greater than John the Baptist. What, what is Jesus saying? Well, like everyone else, G John the Baptist expected Jesus to look a certain way, act a certain way, rule in a certain way, bring prosperity in a certain way. That's what he and even all of his disciples expected of him. But, but you and I on this side of the cross, we, we get to look back and see the cross and, and see what Jesus was, was really up to when he came the first time. And, 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 and so it makes more sense to us. We, we, we see it now. We have the benefit of hindsight. We can, we can look back and we can see the cross and see who Jesus was and, and what he was up to. And it's why even now a four-year-old 
If a four-year-old could speak to John the Baptist, he could say, Jesus died and rised so that I won't have to. Jesus died and rise, so I, so I know die. That's what a four-year-old might say to John the Baptist. And, and I believe that, that John the Baptist, for sure, now, but, but a four-year-old could go back and tell John the Baptist, Jesus will die and rise, so I know die. I really believe the lights would come on for John the Baptist and he would remember, oh yeah, John chapter one, there goes the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. He really did come and set the captives free. He really did come to let those who are in dungeons loose. Would you pray with me? Just right now, just kind of between you and God, a moment between you and God. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want you to consider this, that the scripture says you are the dead son in the coffin. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you're the dead son in the coffin and you're, you're headed to an eternal dungeon that's called hell to pay the fine for your sin because you've offended in your sin an infinitely holy and righteous God. But the great news this morning is that by your faith and because of his compassion, his love for you, God can give you new life this morning. You can be forgiven of your sin. You can be made right with God and know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven by your faith that you place in Jesus and his death on that cross for you. And that three days later, he rose again, conquering your sin, conquering death itself. And so by your faith in him, maybe this morning you, you could be like that dead son. You're, you're spiritually dead, but by your faith and because of God's compassion for you, he can raise you to new life. And so this morning, the step that you need to take is putting your faith in Jesus for the very first time. And if that's you, I just wanna ask that you would jump on our app, fill out our connect form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. And others of you, you're here this morning and you haven't gotten that miracle that you've wanted or expected. And maybe it's jaded you to your faith in God. Maybe, maybe you've turned away. Maybe you've been away from the Lord because he didn't give you that miracle that you wanted, that you asked for. Maybe it's brought some doubts. And this morning, my, my prayer is that right now in this moment, the Holy Spirit will birth faith in your heart all over again. Maybe just that mustard seed of faith. And, and, and maybe by the power of the Holy Spirit right now, you could begin to doubt your doubts. Stop giving into them, doubt your doubts. And with a mustard seed of faith, come back to Jesus this morning, knowing and believing that you get him and he's really all you need. God, I pray that right now that your Holy Spirit would be birthing faith in our hearts. Maybe some of us for the very first time, maybe some of us returning to the Lord, doubting our doubts and putting our faith in Jesus all over again. God, we thank you for your word, for how it speaks to us, how it comforts us, it convicts us. And God, as I prayed earlier, I pray that now by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd bring transformation in our hearts and minds and lives as a result. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Our team's gonna lead us in a time of worship, but before we sing, we're gonna pray. We know many of you have needs and miracles that, that you do need in your life, and we know many of you have had those prayers go unanswered, and so we, we wanna pray for both of you. And so Pastor Barry's gonna lead us, and we wanna pray for you this morning. So Pastor Barry. So Luke 7 has given us some just images of Jesus and his goodness, his willingness and his faithfulness. You know, I could give you a testimony this morning of each of those things. I have had financial miracles happen in my life. I've been healed, I can tell you about that. And I have been in the storm and in the pit where I wanted an answer to get out and I didn't get it. And the Lord's choice 
for me was to go through that and learn. Now, my character probably needs a lot more development than you guys, so he works on me a little harder sometimes, but we wanna pray for a couple of things because we believe in the power of the Lord. So the first thing we wanna pray for is maybe in your life you've prayed for something in the past. You've had a question about it, a doubt. God, how come it didn't happen like I prayed? How come you put me in this situation? And I just wanna let you know that probably 90% of us have had that happen in our lives. It's a real thing to doubt and to wonder, even like John the Baptist. If you've had that and you've got questions for God, just would like to say, hey, I'd just like a little more trust. Remember the guy in the New Testament who said, Lord, I have faith, help my faith. So I'm gonna ask you in just a minute to slip your hand up and we're gonna pray for you. I wanna give you just some simple instruction. Those around you are gonna lay a hand on your shoulder. They're not gonna do anything weird like put their hand on your waist or put their hand on your head like this. They're just gonna put a hand on your shoulder and pray for you. If that speaks to you that you've had a prayer that you didn't understand how it got answered or what God was doing, and would just like to have faith in him and trust in his faithfulness, I'm just gonna ask you to slip your hand up. Don't make me say liar, liar, pants on fire here. I know there's guys, a lot of us have had that. Yeah, so some hands going up. Anybody else that would just like prayer for that? So if you're around these guys with a hand up, would you lay a hand on their shoulder? Someone, just one person pray for them. If you're not around them, if you'll just extend a hand in a direction of somebody who's raised a hand and just agree that God's gonna encourage them this morning. Jesus, we know you're here. Lord, you're bringing encouragement to people's hearts right now. We thank you for that. Lord, help them with any doubt that they have. Bring clarity on what you're doing. And Lord, if it's not your choice to bring clarity, would you just bring an assurance of your goodness and of your care for those who've raised their hands? We just ask these things in your name, amen. So a second group of people that you need a miracle this morning. Man, I, Barry, I need a financial miracle. I need a miracle in my health. Or like the centurion, I have a, a, someone who's close to me that needs a miracle and I wanna pray for them this morning. So if you need some kind of miracle this morning, would you raise your hand and we wanna pray for you. So if you'll keep those hands up for just a minute. Yep, tons in the back, hands going up. And it's okay, don't be afraid to pray for a miracle. So if you see somebody with their hands up, please gather around them, put a hand on their shoulder. And we're just gonna pray that God would move powerfully. And again, you guys extend a hand to them if you're not close. Somebody pray out loud for each person. Lord, you encourage us in your word to ask, to seek, to knock on the door, Lord. We're asking for these, that that miracle would happen. Jesus, show yourself in your goodness, show yourself so that we can glorify your name. Lord, let there be testimonies just of you from today. I just thank you. And God, I come against just the voice of the enemy who whispers, in our ears that we're not worth it, we're not important. Jesus doesn't care about us. 
Lord, thank you that you shed your blood, that you died on a cross so that we could all be your sons and your daughters, that you would cast all our sins from the east is from the west. And that puts us worthy because of Jesus, not because of what we've done. So Lord, I just thank you for your miraculous power flowing in these. And Lord, there's even some miracles that you wanna do in people who didn't raise their hand this morning. And Lord, they'll be able to come and give a testimony of your goodness in their lives. Father, thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray.